Matthew 28 is our passage for today. Looking at the very end of Matthew 28, beginning to read at verse 16, which can be found in your pew Bibles on page 812. The very end of the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel writer writes this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. I went to a wonderful Christian school when I was growing up, and we had to memorize this section of Scripture, the Great Commission. But we had to memorize it starting at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth is being in the world. That's where we had to start. And it's tempting to start there. But Matthew has some pretty important clues at the beginning of this little section that if we don't pay attention, we're going to miss what he really means with the later part of the section. Matthew 28 begins with the resurrection of Jesus. I had to memorize that part too. After Sabbath or dawn on the first day of week, we got to use the word sepulcher when I was a kid. It wasn't a tomb, it was a sepulcher. Try saying that when you're six. <laughs> so it starts with the resurrection of Jesus, and then there's this little interstory about the report of the guard, and then we get the 11 disciples going to Galilee. So this is the first instance where these disciples get to see Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew after his resurrection. The women were the ones who went to the tomb, and they saw an angel who said, don't be afraid, Jesus is risen. Tell his disciples to go to Galilee, and they'll see him there. And then they saw Jesus himself, who said, tell my disciples to go to Galilee, and they will see me there. And so here we are, picking up the story. The disciples are going to Galilee to see Jesus there. But look at how Matthew phrases this. Now the 11 disciples. What happened to the other one? Right? Judas betrayed Jesus, killed himself. So Matthew gives a little hint. Not all is well. These last few days have been horrible. There were 12 disciples. Now there are 11 because one of them did the unthinkable thing, betrayed Jesus, and then killed himself. The 11 disciples go to Galilee. They're down in Jerusalem in the south. They go to Galilee in the north. They go back to where it all began. They go back to where each one of them was called to become a disciple of Jesus. They go back to where they can smell the lake and know that they are home. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee 
to the mountain where Jesus directed them. Six times in the Gospel of Matthew, there's a mountain that happens, and something big happens on the mountain. And so it's significant that here, Jesus is directing them to a mountain. That's a tip-off. Something big is going to happen. Scholars are fairly sure that the mountain that he directed them to was probably the mountain of the Sermon on the Mount. Can't really be sure. It's a nice guess. It's a nice little bookend. But this is where Jesus sends them. The 11 disciples, tired, discouraged, grief-stricken. They've heard the stories of the women about resurrection. They're not really sure what they're doing. They're going to Galilee. At least they get to go back home. They go up to a mountain. And then Matthew says this. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Now why does he write that? I mean, this is the very end of his book. He has spent his whole book, 28 chapters, trying to convince people that this is the Son of God, this is him, this is Emmanuel, God with us, look at what he does. He can heal people, he can cast out demons, he can still the wind and the waves, he can do it all, he's the Son of God. And now, we're post-resurrection. This is the risen Son of God, he's triumphant. Believe, believe, believe. They worshipped, some doubted. Scholars think that this is a little tip. It's a point to say everything else that Matthew has written has been true. Because otherwise he would have lied about this. If you're going to lie about something, you're going to lie about the fact that his own disciples didn't really believe at the moment. But Matthew, the truth teller, says, no, it was like this. We all got up there, we worshiped, some doubted. He doesn't say what Jesus looked like. He doesn't say how they felt about it all. When the women see Jesus, Matthew says that they had fear and great joy. When they worship Jesus, Matthew describes them as falling down and taking hold of his feet. Here, they worship, some doubted. Why, at the very end of his book, would he include that phrase? Because Matthew knew that being a disciple meant living a life of faith and doubt. That these things went together. It's like he's saying, look, I know that all the stuff I've written up to this point seems incredible. It seems unbelievable. And now I've just told you that this guy I've been telling you all about actually rose from the dead. I know. This is crazy stuff. This is far out stuff. This is hard to believe. In fact, it's so hard to believe that even some of us who are up there and witnessed the whole thing, even some of us were like, we don't quite get what's happening here. Faith and doubt, says Matthew, that's just part of what being a disciple is. Faith and doubt. 
For the last five weeks, we've looked at different stories of faith and doubt. We've watched how Jesus interacts with people at various points on the spectrum of faith and doubt. This week, I had the chance to go to RVD for a fireside chat. Shout out. I'll go to anybody's dorm, anybody's house, anybody's apartment. Don't want to feel anybody neglected. RVD just invited me. So I went to RVD, one of our dorms, and I had a fireside chat, and after I was done, we had a time of question and answer. And one of the students asked me, where do you doubt? That's a good question. And it's a legitimate question. Because I don't stand up here and preach before you all, all the time, like somebody who's got it all together. I believe 100% of everything all the time. I don't have problems doubting that God exists. I don't have trouble believing that Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, that he was raised from the dead, that he's going to come back someday. That's not my area of doubt. When I struggle with doubt, it's about the love and care of God. That's what I doubt. I can't tell you how many times when I was a pastor, I would drive away from a hospital with tears streaming down my face, yelling at God, thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing to this family? How can you take their mother away? How can you take their baby girl? What What kind of God are you? And I've had seasons in my own life of significant loss and struggle. When I've just yelled at God, I've said, you're just mean. Everything I see in my life just tells me that you are mean. You can just be mean. I don't believe that you love me. I don't believe that you care for me. So the follow-up question to where your doubts is, then why do you still have faith? And the important way in which my faith gets strengthened is to remember that my faith is not all about me. My faith isn't about me and my personal experience of God in the moment. My faith is rooted in the church of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints. And so when I've had struggles, when I've had times, when I've doubted the love of God, it is so important for me in that moment to be with people who believe, with people who give testimony to what God is doing in their lives, for people who sing the hymns loudly even when I can't, for people who pray boldly even when I can't. It has been so important for me. In Psalm 42, the psalmist talks about this interplay between why are you downcast, O my soul? I will again hope in God. And one of the things the psalmist says is, these things I remember when I pour out my soul. I remember how I went with the throngs into worship. I remember 
what we were like together worshiping and giving thanks. And he's not saying that as, I remember that, that was so great, now my life is so awful. He's remembering that to say, what I'm experiencing now is a season. It's a miserable season. I wish it would end, but it's a season. And it's so important for me to remember that when I experienced extreme doubt or grief or despair, to remember that my faith is not built on how I feel or what's happening in my life, but on God's promises in Scripture to the church of Jesus Christ throughout all time and space. And that he has a wonderful grand narrative that is working itself out. And within that wonderful grand story, I'm just like a period on a page. And I need to trust that the grand narrative is going to end well, despite what I am experiencing right here in the moment. Matthew wanted us to know that even in the moment of his greatest triumph, when he had resurrected from the dead and his dearest friends were coming to see him, there were some there in that moment who worshiped and doubted at the same time. Matthew says that's normal. Welcome to discipleship. They worshiped and some doubted. And then did you notice what Jesus did? He does something before he speaks. Matthew writes, and Jesus came, which doesn't really communicate what's happening there in the Greek word. There are 52 times that that word is used in the New Testament, and 50 of the times, it's when somebody is coming to petition, when somebody is coming to ask for something. There's an intentional movement of Jesus toward the disciples. When they saw him, they worshiped, some doubted, Jesus came to them. Jesus came right into the midst. I know you're worshiping and doubting. Here I am. Okay, I'm here. I'm right here in the middle of this. Jesus came to them. He didn't say, yeah, I see what's going on in your hearts. Why don't you all get your act together and then I'll commission you. Actually, but I can commission you, 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 and you. Everybody else can go back to Galilee, go, go down to the lake. Just going to do these people who are actually believing strongly at the moment. No. This is what he says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, all y'all go. All y'all go, make disciples, baptize, teach, and remember, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Because, Jesus says, this is not dependent on you and how you feel at the moment. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, and I send you under that authority and with my presence. The commission is given within the giant Jesus sandwich. The authority and the presence surround you as you go out. 
So, 11 disciples, as you are gathered here, some of you worshiping, some of you doubting. All right, everybody gather up. I'm stepping in. Here's the deal. I want you to go out and make disciples. Really? I mean, you think you could come up with something more, I don't know, like, I want you to go change the world. Cast out demons, throw out the Romans, heal people all over the place, make blind people see, make deaf people hear, make lame people dance. Go, 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 go. Go make disciples. Really? We'd rather do the healing stuff. That's got a tangible, immediate. This is like saying, Hey, all authority's been given to me. Everybody, everybody break into small groups, and I want you to have, do a little homework now. And these 11 disciples, right, they're thinking, wait, you're our rabbi. We're your disciples. So if you want us to make disciples, that means we're... Uh-oh. Because these were not Dean's List disciples. They had blown some tests along the way. They had had to get some extra credit points to make up for the quizzes earlier in the semester. They hadn't done particularly well. Some of you are feeling their pain right now. <laughs> Wait. This is not only anticlimactic, it's a little overwhelming. Make disciples? That's why Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Because this isn't about you at all. It's about me and the work that I can do through you. And I'm going to be with you every day, every moment of every day. There's not going to be a breath that you take where I am not present. There's not going to be a conversation you have that I'm not in. You're going to encounter people who are hostile to the faith. I'm going to be right there. You're going to have exhausting conversations with non-believers. I'm going to be right there. You're going to be attacked by aggressive atheists. I'm going to be right there. Because I have all the authority. So you don't rely on your own selves. You rely on me. Because I know that right now, you may be doubting me a little bit. I am not doubting you. I have people who come to me and they say, you know, I've been thinking about being a Barnabas, but I don't know if my faith is strong enough. Or I'd really like to be a worship apprentice, but I don't think my, I, my life isn't very godly. I'll say, yeah, you're right. Come on. Your faith isn't strong enough. Your life isn't godly enough. So welcome, welcome. Those are the only kind of people we use here. Because those are the only kind of people Jesus uses. Hey, you worshiping doubters. Hey, you doubting worshipers. Come on. Here's the deal. Let's go. That's what we do. Because it's not about you. You may doubt me, but I don't doubt you. 
And you know what? It's worked. Because those disciples, they told somebody, and those people 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 told you. You're in this room because somebody was a disciple of Jesus Christ and they chose to disciple you. It actually works. And the person who discipled you is just as messed up and broken as you are. And the people that you're going to disciple are going to look at you and think that you've kind of got your act together and you have to be a truth teller and say, no, I do the worshiping, doubting, doubting, worshiping thing. That's what we do here. Because it's in our brokenness and in our frustration that we remember that the authority is with Jesus. And remember that his presence is with us always. And so as we disciple and are discipled, as we wrestle with faith and we wrestle with doubt, we remember that our God came near in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on flesh. He suffered, he died, he buried, he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And before he ascended, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, y'all go. Y'all go. Go. Make disciples, baptize them, teach, and remember, I'm with you always, every day, to the end of the age. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, your Son, who took on flesh, who has authority and gives us his presence. Remind us that you are a God who seeks to use broken people and knit them back together, that you use sinful people and wash them white as snow. That you use people like us and make them into people who look more and more like Jesus. We thank you for Jesus. Word made flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Amen. <laughs>